We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Today, I decided that we're going to have a general golf talk. I mean, who doesn't love talking about golf? And it doesn't necessarily have to be picks all the time. Sometimes it's just fun to talk about golf and maybe the advancement of the PGA. Maybe some new golf. Who knows? But do want to let everyone out there know, if you want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review. DraftKings handle. Something you like about this show. I mean, not specifically the show the show on a macro level of the pat mayo experience you'll be in that draw for 100 DraftKings dollars you want to get into a draw for 20 DraftKings dollars and you can do both smash the like button for the video leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and give us a topic for the next time that a general golf talk comes around and maybe we'll use it on the show i mean if i use your topic and you don't win i mean that's part for the course but also if i don't use your topic you could still potentially win because it's a random draw winners announced on monday's show also fantasynational.com you like stats you like tools to make everything easier on yourself for playing daily fantasy or wagering on golf fantasynational.com slash pme will get you 20% off highly recommended joining me on the line the first of the guests to talk about the golf in general it is Kenny Kim from the Fantasy Golf Degenerates podcast. What's going on, man? Pat, how are you, man? Glad to be on the show. Always like chatting with you. It's going to be fun. Yes, I, I thought, well, what can we do? Because we're not doing the, like, we're not recording early in a week, so we're not doing picks for the show. Do we want to do, like, showdown? That shit goes out of date within, like, three hours. I thought, why don't we sit down? We haven't talked in ages. We might as well just flesh out some golf. And I, I do have to put it out there, because a lot of people really think I hate Tambo after he was on the show, and I yelled at him, but I don't. <laughs> so, I mean, I I know that he and I are good, but I wanted to throw it out there that since he is your co-host, that, you know, we're all good, right? Like, yeah, he harbors no ill will. Uh, that was a classic moment, I do have to say. I still rib him about that moment all the time. Uh, I mean, you know, it was, it was first time on, you know, a little bit of nerves being on a big show like this. You know, it's understandable. 
I, I guess so. All he had to do was listen to us. And I told him right when we got off air, I was like, I'm going to cut this, and I'm going to use this as the social media clip. And I was like, I guarantee you, more people will click on this episode than anything else. They'll love this. He's like, all right, let's go with it. So it worked. Yeah, yeah, it's always funnier on our pod, too. Whenever we do something dumb, we tend to get more pub about that as well. People, people like that, I guess. I'm not really sure. So I wanted to throw out some topics to you. And the first one I wanted to do was the waste management 16th hole gets so much pub and it gets all the press. It gets its own like live feed throughout the week. If you're watching online, like it's a big deal. And the course is known for this hole. And I'm not saying that every tournament should have its own 16th hole where you have a par three that has a stadium course, but do you think it would be better off? for maybe not every single tournament, but even some of the lesser tournaments, to have some sort of gimmick like the 16th hole. Now, not exactly that thing, because that belongs to Phoenix, but something different, whether, I don't know, this is why I wanted to have you on to kind of flesh this out a little bit. Is there anything else you can really do besides like an amphitheater hole? I mean, I'm not sure, man. If you compare stuff to Phoenix, it's it, I don't know if you can have that more than once a year. I mean, that type of atmosphere on a golf course. I mean, first off, the pros would probably hate it if they had to come in and have to deal with that every single week. Uh, but, I mean, if they wanted to add something else, I think the big thing that's going to be helpful uh, for a, a sort of gimmick, I guess, will be the uh, the betting on site. I mean, that's I think that's going to be a big thing uh, for the PGA Tour and for the fans that go to the event. Uh, I think that could be really helpful in engaging the fans into each event every week and making it a little bit more exciting. But like the, the amphitheater, the craziness, the rowdiness, the the nudity, the alcoholism. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of all that, really. I mean, if you guys listen to the pod, you know I'm a fan. But uh, you know, w- once a year for that is fine. You just have to find other things. And I think the gambling route is a great way to go. Well, let's try to switch this up a little bit. I don't necessarily mean that atmosphere, like how Sawgrass has 17. Like, that's kind of what the tournament is known for. Obviously, it's also the Players' Championship, but people really hone in on 17. That's what the casual person knows about it. The casual person, like, while they might not ever care about the Waste Management Open, they know about 16. Like, is having a signature hole and something different about it maybe a better way to put this? Like, for the Valspar Championship... The snake pit at Copperhead is awesome, but that's not, like, a thing because it's, like, three weeks after the bear trap or, like, the horrible horseshoe for one of them. Like, that's fine. You can give it a fun name, but no one really gives a shit or knows about it. Like, would it? let's say for the Valspar Championship, it's a tougher course, but what if that was the one event every year that more or less mimicked a U.S. Open where it was, like, the winning score was even? something like that. And then that tournament just became known for being how hard it was every single year. I think that some of these lesser tournaments need a hook and a way to identify them and like take them away from the other ones. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's a tough thing to, to, to add to a, 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 a tournament. I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, I mean, yeah, it would be useful. I mean, it's great for these courses that have these signature type things because people recognize the course, they recognize the event, but do that on every week, every course, it'll be tough. I mean, it'll take a lot of imagination and, you know, imagination that I really don't have. I mean, the guys at the PGA tour have to go and think about that, you know, hard, but I I mean, yeah, it would be great if every course had their own little niche, but I mean, to, to, to do that, I mean, it would be, it would be tough to do that in a, in a short period of time. It would probably have to be a gradual thing. But, like, specific holes, I mean, I guess if they did something like it, I'd worry about the amphitheater-type setting because I think every time something like that happens, I mean, even I was uh, – it's not the same, but, like, you know, the, the 17th and Sawgrass, I was there last year. I mean, that area around there is very, very crowded. 
there's a lot of people that go around there. And, and if they added a stadium seating, which they don't really have there, it's close, but they have that like that little hill and, and a few stands. Um, the worry I get is it would become like Phoenix, you know, like having that atmosphere, just that type of stadium type setting. And that's the way it would go. Uh, it would just be tough to try and get a different ideas other than that. I mean, I'm not smart enough to think about something like that. I guess if you, I like the idea of making specific uh, tournaments harder, like the Dallas bar, that'd be great to have its own little niche. Uh, but you know, that's up to the courses to figure out what that would be. And, you know, I, I can't really, off the top of my head, I can't think of much more than other than the gambling aspect of certain courses that bring more fans into it in that aspect. But it's just, it'd be tough to do. I mean, what, what, I, what do you think? I mean, what ideas do you have to try and make it just other than that, that Valspar thing? I mean, it's tough to think about because golf is such a set game. Yeah, it is tough to figure out. I guess it would have to be up on the organizers of the tournament if they, A, wanted to go that route. But I do like this idea of gambling on the course. So when you go over to Britain for the British Open or like some of the European tour events, there are places where you can walk in and make your wagers, then go watch the golf. And it's not like a lot of the talk that I hear is like, oh, it's going to be such a big problem when people can bet on golf. And then they're yelling at the golfers. Like, I don't really imagine. Maybe in Phoenix that would end up happening because everyone's just shit faced the entire time. But everywhere else, it's probably going to be pretty good. But if there was like gambling specific things, to the event like i'll get you to walk me through what going to the players championship is like and what's it like being on sawgrass but if there was a booth on the grounds of sawgrass not necessarily to place wagers on who's going to win but for the gimmick of the 17th hole like you can go bet who you think is going to be closest to the hole that day and then just be like holding your ticket then you can go watch it that seems like it would be kind of fun yeah, I mean, any type of prop. I mean, Bennett makes everything fun. You know, I mean, that's just the way it goes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that would be great. I mean, specific prop bets would be good. Uh, I mean, the thing about that is it just depends on how technologically advanced you can get. I mean, do you have to go to a booth? Can you do it on your phone? Is the Wi-Fi going to be good enough when you're on the course? If you can get like a mobile app when you're on the course, specifically designed for the course with good Wi-Fi. I mean, I went to the U.S. Open tennis uh, event last year and Arthur Ashe Stadium. Uh, has probably the fastest Wi-Fi I've ever had in my life. It's quicker than my house. And there's 25,000 people in the stands uh, all using the Wi-Fi. And I was betting points uh, for each, you know, live. You know, it, it, was, it was spectacular. I mean, you know, if you can get something like that uh, on the betting aspect where you can do, you know, bet on a specific hole right when you're watching the threesome, you know, tee off. I mean, that would be amazing. You know, you follow certain groups that you think earlier in the day, maybe you look at, you do your research and see a golfer have an advantage uh, over the other two and you follow them, you bet and you, you, you see both of them, all three of them hit every shot. I mean, that would be great. You know, I, I, that would make the, the fan experience, at least for a gambler, way more exciting. Uh, unless the, whatever event hires whoever developed the Masters app to incorporate this into their tournament, if they rely on the PGA, have a feeling that app's not going to be very good. Yeah, probably not. It's uh, been, yeah. it, it's been the PGA app, at least so far this year has been an absolute fucking train wreck. Like it just randomly closes on me all the time. Yeah. I, I don't understand that, especially with how well the masters app was last year. I mean, you know, it's possible, you know, you know, you can get a good golf app out there and to not get it done is frustrating, extremely frustrating, especially for, you know, avid fans like us. Yeah, and maybe, so what do you think? Do you think that the market for a better app, full coverage on the holes, shot tracker on every course, that kind of thing, 
Are, do we live in such a bubble that we think this should be a thing, but it turns out that, like, everyone in the world who thinks this should be a thing, like, we know, so there's actually not that many of us? Or do they just <laughs> not care? I, I mean, if they really want to get the game bigger, I mean, gambling has to be one on the forefront to, to grow the game. Uh, now that it's legalized in the United States on a state-by-state -state basis, I mean, you know, the states that have it legalized are making so much money on the taxes that, you know, at a certain point in time, I mean, it's going to be legal everywhere here in the United States. And, and you know, that's what that, that that's what the PGA needs to focus on if they really want to grow the game. I mean, the, the fans are already the fans right now. What you need is to bring more casual fans into the fold week in and week out, not just for the majors. And the easiest way to do that is gambling. I mean, at least in a short term level. I mean, if you wanted to grow the game more, I mean, you, you start with the, with the with the first tee type deal where you you grab the golfers you know young uh but i mean the, the easiest way to, to grow the game quickly with now the legalization of sports betting is making it more bet friendly you know making it more bet friend more visually friendly for the betters as well do you think that well you say things like the first tee or getting kids into the game early, then they end up growing up to love golf. But it feels like that's always going to be a thing. I don't know if that's going up or going down. I assume it's going down. As wealth goes down amongst the middle class, I would assume that active participation in youth golf probably goes down along with it. But yeah. it does seem like the best way to actually, like, I know so many people that now bet on golf or play DraftKings golf only because it was something to bet on or to play DraftKings golf. And because of that, they have gotten into golf. This does seem like a good way to rope people in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's true for any sport. I mean, like, you know, not just golf. I mean, there's plenty of people who, you know, just started wagering on a sport and ended up starting loving the sport. I mean, it's not a, a golf-specific thing. And, you know, they have to be able to see that. I mean, if you look at football, I mean, in the last 25 years, the growth of that game, you know, a lot of it has to do with the gambling aspect. I, I'm not even thinking about just like the money that goes into the sport. I'm thinking about the active participation in the sport. And I think that's where golf is unique in all of this. Like if you're just some guy who's an accountant, who's 33 years old, uh, you got bored one day at work, you checked out the show. You're like, Hey, betting on golf seems all right. So you bet on golf, you win some money or you just enjoy doing it for fun. Then you turn 35. You're like, you know what? I might play golf. I might go buy a set of clubs. Like, it's the only sport where gambling and daily fantasy can actually rope people into actually playing your sport at a later age. It's not like I'm 35 and I'm like, man, I love DraftKings football. I'm going to go play football. That's probably yeah. off the table for me. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it's, that's a great point. I mean, like, you know, you could, you could play golf. At, you could start playing golf at 50. There's no age requirement. I mean, you can go out there now, and especially with the technology that they have nowadays, which is just, you know, a pretty big topic uh, this past week, uh, you know, uh, we can go out there. Uh, that's a great point. Anyone can go out there play. And if they start gambling wise, you know, and, and they start enjoying the game and getting out there, well, good for them. It's just going to grow the game even more. Uh, do you find it hard? Like, do you, do you play much at all? I used to, uh, this past year is probably the least amount I've played, but I used to play about, get out about 20 times a year. So you're, you're kind of like with me. I, I, since I've moved uh, up when I, the moment I moved to Toronto, I really stopped playing a lot of golf, not because it's too cold because it's, 
either not close or anything that is close is so goddamn expensive, it's kind of ridiculous. But where I grew up, I grew up in Halifax on the east coast of Canada where we have an overwhelming amount of golf courses. So I started golfing when I was seven or eight years old. And you know, throughout my teens and even in my early 20s, I was playing like – between 30 and 60 rounds a year more so when I was younger because I had nothing to do in the summer I didn't have to work I just went and played golf all the time but since I've moved up here green fees um, I mean membership is basically off the table because you have to wait so long for any of the courses within the city and all the courses within the city are either private or either they're really shitty and expensive or they're private and even more expensive which then means you have to go outside of the city which is like an hour and a half drive and if you live in a downtown metropolitan area you probably don't even own a car so then it becomes a little bit more difficult to get out more than like two three times a year like do you find the same thing in dc or is it easier to like because a lot of people do live in sort of the outskirts of dc is it easier to play golf yeah, I live about 15 miles west of D.C., and there's like 85 million golf courses in this area. So, yeah, it's pretty easy to go out there and play for, for me, and you can get good prices. Uh, and, you know, you might not be playing the best courses, but you can go out with your buddies on the weekend and scramble away on some, you know, shitty dog track for, you know, 35, 50 bucks. I mean, it's it's possible to find. I mean, so, yeah, there's, there's a ton of golf courses here, and just, you know, I was just like you. I started playing really really young and i'm sort of i guess the opposite playing a lot of golf sort of got me into the golf gambling because not only was i playing a lot of golf i'd I'd watch a lot of golf because i wanted to you know get better and i wanted to see what these pros are doing uh, out there and so you know that that sort of led me into the the golf gambling fantasy type atmosphere of, of the game so it's funny you mentioned that like that got you into it and then it translated over into fantasy and betting on it because I noticed this as a part of it. I mean getting rid of Peter Costa so you don't have the Kanamaka Kanaka Manolta swing vision anymore so I guess <laughs> yeah. maybe that part's out of it but there is a lot of like instructional stuff in golf because a lot of people who play golf they end up watching golf they want to tip here they want to tip there I've always found that's a really useless part of the broadcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they they do some decent tips. I mean, I, I remember I saw one tip. I forget who it was. It was a chipping tip about, you know, how some golfers pretend they, they, they toss the ball with their hand. And then that, that, that sort of strength trying to get to the hole is a strength to use for the chip. It's like, you know, I saw that on a TV broadcast when I was young, and that's helped me before. But it, it, it's more fun. I just enjoy golf. So I, I was going to watch anyways. And, you know, and occasionally, you know, you, you, you try to mimic some of these golfers now it probably doesn't work very well especially if you try to mimic some of these golfers swings with like you know 185 mile per hour ball speed or something it's, it's going to be tough to mimic that but you know we're amateurs we go out there we hack them but we try you know when i hit a good drive with a little bit of cut you know down the middle i'm like oh that's dj right there that's DJ. you know it, that's just that's the way it goes for me i, I always just found it strange to be like you you're watching like someone go onto the course be like here's how you hit a you know, a fried egg bunker shot in order to try to get it close i'm like why aren't you showing me golf shots why the fuck are you showing me this that was always my impression of it but i guess more people like it than i would think oh yeah i mean i'd rather see more golf shots there's no doubt about that but i mean that's i don't think that's just gonna happen i mean it, 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 it's not what we get i mean i guess the like you said earlier we could just be trapped in a bubble and there could be a lot of people who enjoy the telecast but 
I don't know. I, I, it, it boggles my mind that they don't show more golfers. And again, that's relating to the gambling aspect. You know, if you want to build the game with, with gambling, I mean, you're going to have to spread the wealth around for some of these golfers to be able to watch on TV or be able to pick and choose some type of on-demand selection. I mean, I know you've talked about that a bunch. I've talked about that a bunch. I mean, that would be a great bonus. And I mean, and the thing is in the beginning, it might only capture the betting market, but I mean, after a while, once everything legalizes, it's going to keep on growing and growing and growing. And, and, and it, making the game better to watch for the fans is always going to help growth the game. And I don't think the PGA Tour is quite doing that yet. I think it might. So there's one of two ways this can go, that maybe they're waiting until it's almost completely available uh, everywhere across the U.S. Instead of like seven states, maybe it needs to be done in like 35 states before they start taking this seriously. Or it needs to become legal in Florida, Texas, or California before they can really truly see what the impact of it. I would think that they would want to get on top of this now because like you mentioned, this is the biggest growth sector that they have. If they ever want to grow golf for not necessarily younger viewers, but younger per the viewers that they have. So instead of you having your average audience be like, we've already seen it go down. Basically you can almost time it to the moment that DraftKings started providing golf uh, and legalized betting coming in. So over the past three, four years that the average age of people watching golf has actually gone down by a couple of years, which is a huge swing. So instead of like 58.8 average age, it's like 55.5 average age, which is still incredibly old compared to every other sport. But if this is a market that you can hit and bring your average viewership down, like you don't just need to sell depends ads on your shows anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, you can still run like the Rolex and the Mercedes because the people watching will have money. And that's the big thing. Not only are you getting the younger people getting in, you're not getting poor young people. You're getting young people with money because A, they're gambling. B, they're playing daily fantasy. So they have disposable income to begin with. And no one is watching golf who doesn't have money. That's just like a straight across the board statement. Oh yeah, it's definitely it's you know it's it's an expensive sport to play. I mean, first off, and so you know you're not going to get people in lower class areas playing a lot of golf because it's it takes a lot of time and time is money and it's it's expensive and they yes they have to do something to grow the game for the younger because I mean the fan base is going to die. And like you said, I mean, like it has gone down the age and it's mostly because of betting and daily fantasy sports. And the PGA Tour has to see that. They, they have to know that, that that's the reason why. So maybe back to your earlier point, it could be right. Maybe they're waiting for more states to have that legalized. They already partnered up with DraftKings. So that's, you know, a, a, fir- a good first step. Now they just need to grow on that more and more year in and year out, you know, uh, until they reach a certain point. I mean, as someone who has a partnership with DraftKings themselves, I've been a part of their partnership with the PGA. And like, yeah, having the partnership is fine. I don't know what's coming next for it, but it's currently an article and a two-minute video every week. And like them not putting pressure on like, this is illegal. Like that's essentially what it is right now. Like, why can't we get the DraftKings open? I know I've said this a million times, but if that was a true partnership in an incorporation, part of the deal should have been that DraftKings had to give the PGA money that instead of having the Barracuda Championship or the Barbasol, it is the DraftKings open and you play the tournament by DraftKings scoring. Like, how is that not the logical tie-in? And that's the one you can go bet on too if you want to do it. Yeah, I, that would be great. Uh, you know, instead of Stableford scoring, DraftKings scoring, yeah. scoring on an event that, yeah, that would, that would that would be awesome. I mean, again, I think it, I think it comes down to it's just still not legal in enough places, and I guess the PGA Tour has to worry about that. 
I guess so, but like I don't see how it hurts you for the broadcast. Like the XFL is going to be running odds on the screen during the games. Now I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know how the commentators are going to process this. But if people are just looking for new signups at all the time, and the biggest thing right now, whether it's new gambling sites, whether it's daily fantasy sites, whether it's over the top platforms, you know, the new Disney Plus or ESPN Plus or whatever it might be, just acquiring customers is the single biggest thing that you can get. And whether that's on a free basis, whether that's on a pay basis, because the whole hope is like you gather so many free users that you convert over 10% to paid users and you're doing a really good job. It would seem to me that the gambling vertical in terms of broadcasting for the PGA, just bringing in all of us. Now, I don't know how big it is, but I guarantee you it would be worldwide for one thing. And I don't know how that would work between golf TV owning the rights overseas and what happens inside of America. But if you just got your feet wet, use and it, it can be totally separate. CBS can broadcast what they want and do their broadcast on Saturday afternoons and Sunday afternoons, but maybe NBC wants to dip their toe in during the golf channel hours. Like, how good are the ratings for the golf channel? Who's watching the golf channel on a Thursday? A, not us, because golf's not on in the morning, so we have to wait around till 3 p.m. so they can show us the last half of the last wave and show us three guys. Like, why not try to expand it there or have a web service that maybe you don't pay for at first? Maybe it's like two months trial to figure out how all this incorporates then all of a sudden you jack up the price and people will pay for it if they get used to it like i just don't understand why you wouldn't try to create more a better user experience and one that allows you to have more users i think uh, the one thing that, that the pga tour would have to be worried about is how the networks feel about that i mean uh, you know the networks pay the tour you know x amount to 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 to, to, to get their their coverage uh, every year i mean are they worried about pissing the networks off by adding their own little stream and taking away viewership from there. I mean, there, there's a lot of business aspects that they probably have to think of when it comes down to it. Now, you know, outside looking in, it seems simple, but I mean, I I think a lot of it probably has to do with money and, and the networks when it comes to their own little stream. And that's why you can only see two groups uh, on PGA Tour Live. You know, you get the morning groups and then the afternoon groups are the same people you see every shot on the on the regular TV broadcast as well. I mean, it, it has to be it just that seems so dumb to me, so stupid that the only thing I could think of it, it has to be something from the networks coming down to them. I mean, I'm just guessing here, but I mean, it just seems so illogical to do it that way, that there has to be some pressure from some other side for them to keep doing it this way. maybe it would take each of the networks developing their own thing in order to do it. But like, there's no real difference between like when golf, when CBS has its broadcast, like it's not like golf channel who's owned by NBC isn't doing the first half. It's like guys just kind of step in the cameras stay in the same place and they're good to go. Like they share assets that way. And I know that the PGA just signed a new deal with a lot of this stuff, but it does seem like either ESPN plus or potentially Turner could get in on the digital rights to all this. So if they actually carve them up that way, then maybe you have someone else come in. That isn't the actual, if you're not using the CBS feed in order to funnel your coverage of it, you get Turner to come in and they're only doing digital. They can't broadcast anything on TV. So they have their own team, their own cameras. Yes, that would be expensive, but I do think it would be very lucrative for them. And the PGA should throw them a bone be like, listen, CBS, here's a bit of money. Allow us to do this. It's going to help your ratings. It's going to help everyone because it's going to grow us. Like if not, maybe they're content with making the same amount of money that they've always made, but that doesn't sound like any business I know. 
yeah, that doesn't sound like a, a, a good business plan. You know, you always want to grow. And, uh, you know, hopefully it catches on. We're still, you know, when you still think about it, we're still in the infancy stage of this when it comes to betting and fantasy and all that when it comes to golf. I mean, hopefully as the years progress, they, they develop more and more aspects to help, you know, us degenerates uh, follow the game more closely and maybe even grab, maybe even make more, fans become degenerates which you know doesn't sound great but it actually is helpful probably for the game yeah well if you incorporate into the broadcast now and you normalize the lingo and how to do it and it just seems like it's a part of the game then it wouldn't just be the degenerates gambling on everything it's someone who wants to throw down a hundred bucks on tiger woods to win now they know how to do it they know what it means and they feel comfortable doing it like that's win-win for everybody yeah i mean it definitely is i, I you know I, <laughs> The thing about gambling, I have friends who 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 don't have gambling accounts that'll hit me up during specifically most of the time during the the horse racing, you know, the triple crown, and they'll hit me. And and, and the thing is, like, I don't have friends that do that. Those friends don't do that for golf events, not even majors. Uh, so they 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 got they got to find a way to grab more of those people uh, into that aspect because I mean, like, you know, when you specifically let's talk about you know when, when you talk about the triple crown it's the only three horse racing events that people care about you know and and that's because of the gambling aspect of the sport and you, you know if they've golf has done that in a, in a larger level they can bring more fans in maybe if it's only a few events a year that's still more than they had prior to that you know i i think the horse racing really works because you have well, realistically, it's one big event, and then you know, determining what happens at from what happens at the Kentucky Derby is how big the next two are going to be. But because it's such a short race, I can tune in for two minutes. I've heard all about it all week. I have the horse that That's I think true. is going to win. I'm going to bet on it. It's not a large investment of my time. A lot like it's sort of the opposite of golf, where it's going to take you a lot of time to see what happens. It's going to take four days. That's what I find to be the most fun about it, and I think that's why people like DraftKings golf so much, is that you can spend the same amount that you do on football. You research all week. You make your picks. But then you sit back, and your money's good for four days. It's not good for four hours, and that's sort of a selling point to the game. But I think if you were just a casual who wanted to go put 100 dollars down on something something like the kentucky derby works it's weird that i actually think that trying to monetize the olympics this way could work out really well too only for a few events like if it was publicly known that you could just bet on the 100 meter i feel like people would do that yeah i i think so too i mean and the thing is like you know i understand that people can't don't like to wait those four days but it's there's live betting now and it's you know and, and the thing is if they wanted to make live betting bigger i mean you know first off the coverage would have to be better but i mean you can you can do can will i've seen it on bavada and other sites for majors will tiger beat this hole or be win this hole over these you saw the, the skins game uh in japan i mean that was fun uh, i mean i was live betting every hole it was great uh and i you know and you, so i mean there are markets for guy, for people who want, uh, you know, that short time to, to, to bet on something and have a quick return on investment or a loss, uh, it, it's it, there is ways to to, to to put that into the, the into the golf game more, and they started doing that a little bit. I mean, like the perfect example was that skins game. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, if, if it wasn't for the, the gambling aspect of being able to bet on every hole, every shot, you know, uh, it probably wouldn't have been as much fun for me to watch. I don't know how it did in the ratings. I mean, Tiger was in, it, so I'm sure. A, lot, a bunch of people tuned in 
but and the thing is, once Tiger leaves, I mean, that's going to be a big part. Uh, it's going to be a big loss too. And they, they, the PGA Tour has to figure out how to bring more people into the game. Yeah, and I mean, using Tiger as a conduit to get people in, I think, is the best move. And you only have so many years of Tiger being at the top of major leaderboards. The fact that we still have them is, frankly, quite stunning. Uh, if you were to ask most people four years ago if Tiger would be back to this point, you know, they would pray that it would happen. No one seems super optimistic about it, though. But now you have this chance to really capitalize on it and either grow new people and make them into stars or just suck people into the game and maybe you find, like, a new Tiger. That kind of thing. But do you know much about this premier golf league that's been rumored to be going around almost like an alternate tour to the PGA? I, I read some things about it. Not really completely sure. I know they're trying to, 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 to poach specific tournaments from specific tours to be on their little, little schedule of events and stuff. I'm not exactly sure uh, how it works, but I did read some stuff on it. I think it's, a good idea solely for the fact that I think they can come up with like outrageous rules and ideas for TV coverage a lot in the same vein of in the early 2000s how the XFL had like one or two good ideas and then the NFL just took them once the XFL went out of business that I don't think this this tour is going to work people are going to play on the PGA tour I don't care how much money that you offer people to come play like it would have to be such an outrageous amount of money that there's no way that they could possibly make it back so unless they're being funded by I don't know the triad as a money laundering operation and they don't <laughs> care how much money they lose that would be one thing but if they can institute some of the things that we're talking about whether it be incorporating gambling into broadcasts like gimmicks for courses whatever it might be and the pga can see oh this league is stupid but that was a good idea that was a good idea that was a good idea because i think a big problem with the broadcasting and the incorporation of a lot of this stuff is that they just don't have the guts to start it if they actually did it they'd find out that it's not the end of the world and it would be fine yeah i mean they've been doing the coverage has just been the same for as long as i've been watching 30 years yeah i mean there's been no really big i mean the, the shot the shot tracer, probably the biggest thing that's been added onto the coverage. And you still don't even get that on every shot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, and, and when it comes to that alternative golf league, I mean, I mean, Jay Monahan, I think that's the commissioner's name. He already, you know, put veil threats out to, to the golfers on tour. You know, you're only going to be playing on one tour. You know, it's basically what he said. I mean, they're not going to get the golfers to be able to succeed, I don't think. When it comes down to that, I mean, I, if they offer them enough money, but I mean, if these tours, uh, other tours are going to, if the, if the PGA and European tour are going to veto that, I mean, I don't think they're going to go against the commissioner. Do you think that there should be some more incorporation of the PGA and the European tour? Like, why not make the Scottish Open a joint event the week before the British Open? Then you would get, like, you get, like, a lot of PGA players over. Just say, like, sorry, John Deere Classic, you can move to another week. That week is going to be the Scottish. It's going to be a co-event with the European Tour. and Get everyone over there because it does seem, and, like, even the ratings show this, and maybe it's because it's the British Open, but even, like, when they show the Scottish Open, like, it does better ratings than the John Deere Classic does. Yeah, well, I mean, it's because usually the better golfers are on in that event, you know, uh, priming up for the for the Open Championship. I mean, a lot of it has to do probably with money and not wanting to compete. I mean, the thing about the PGA Tour is they're so much larger than the European Tour that they really want to help the European Tour out. I mean, they probably should if they want to grow the game even more. But I mean, is that financially what they want to do? Probably not. 
I, I guess it depends. And maybe gambling will actually end up changing this. If they can get into some of the gambling markets, once it's spread across the United States, they'll see, oh, wow, the rest of the world also bets that maybe I, I just enjoy watching golf that's over in Europe. Like, yes, the players are better. It's just the production quality that comes along when NBC goes over and does the Scottish Open. Like, if the European tour had the money that, like, some, I know Sky Sports does it a lot of the time, but, and they have a ton of money. It's just not the same investment in the same quality that NBC brings to the table. I mean, when I watch the European tour events, you know, specifically, like, I guess most of the time, weeks off of the PGA tour is when I focus on the European tour because I got to gamble on golf every week. It's just the way I am. And uh, you look at the coverage, the coverage is actually probably better. The, on they, the, Europe, yeah, on the European yeah, tour. Yeah, you, don't the, have, you don't hear people talk as much. It feels like the announcers on the, the PGA tour are paid to talk, just talk. And then the, the announcers on the European tour are paid to just be there and let you know little small things. I mean, it's not the show's not about them. The show's about the golfers. And on, on the PGA tour, it seems like that's sort of reversed. So I will agree with you that the actual broadcast itself from the European tour is significantly better. You said the guys actually shut up for a while and you see way more shots uh, than you would on the PGA tour. But the actual like coverage, the visuals that the American broadcast crews bring to these golf events is just way better. Yeah, yeah, the, te- the technology on that side, and that's because you know there it's more money uh, on this side, so they, they have that. But you know, I, when I listen to when I watch a European tour event, there's times where like I don't hear anyone talk for like a minute and a half. That would be like the worst thing ever that could happen uh, on CBS. Like if Nick Fowler didn't talk for a minute and a half, he'd probably die. You know, I mean, like so so it's just different ways to go about it. I, I think if the, if the PGA Tour could learn something from the European Tour and their coverage, and if the European Tour had the money the PGA Tour had, it would probably be the lights out way to watch golf. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe that's why the, there's something to do with a like joint venture once or twice a year could really go a long way. You tell the, hey, American broadcast team, bring your cameras over, but we're going to use the European tour like broadcast team will met will max it up we'll mesh it up that way and we'll see how it goes and be like oh well I mean maybe it will influence a bit more to the American side and then maybe the technology standards will go up for the European tour I don't know that's that's very wishful thinking but I think a lot of the broadcast actually has to do with the different audiences that they're going after like the European audiences in general probably uh no golf maybe a little bit more I would think uh, than the American audiences who are just so geared with American sports that like, go, 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 go. It's like almost the same reason like soccer is not super popular in the States. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, Americans love action. I mean, there's no doubt about that. If if I'm watching TV and there's, you know, not a whole lot of blood and like, you know, people fighting and going crazy, I'm probably not going to be interested. So, you know, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, and I think you're right. I think it's probably on the European tour. Uh, the people that watch that are more knowledgeable. I mean, you sort of see that when you go to the Ryder Cup and stuff. Uh, when you watch the Ryder Cup, you see sort of the fans seem to be more knowledgeable about the game uh, across the pond. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess that's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, did you go to the D.C. Golf Show? I did. How was that? Uh, you know, it's great. It's it's in a convention center. The, I, you know, there's a lot of vendors, a lot of cool things. The best part about these golf shows is the the, the cheap balls. I mean, I went and I got like three dozen, you know, Titleist uh, NXT for like 10 bucks, you know, <laughs> and, but they were, they were used, refurbished. But I mean, it's fun. They have like the, they have speakers. Uh, they have like, a, you know, a, a hole in one contest. They do a little fake uh, sawgrass island green type deal indoor and you can win like 50 grand and stuff. And they have all the vendors. 
They have all the uh, the, the new clubs uh, and everything, and you can drink beer. So so it was great. You know, I was able to walk around, drink a couple of beers, uh, enjoy my time there. It was fun. Uh, is there anything else that you saw there, like new equipment, anything cool technology-wise? Not really. Uh, I mean, it, it has all the new stuff. It's not like geared towards uh, the, the major manufacturers. Uh, there are a couple, you know, there's not like a, a huge Titleist stand where they went. You can look at, you know, it's all these, a lot of local uh, companies come in and they have the clubs marketed by certain companies, but it's more of a local feel when it comes to the PC show. Um, is there anything that you would want uh, for your actual playing that you think would enhance? Like, is there a way to incorporate gambling or daily fantasy into you actually playing golf? Ah, I don't know. I mean, that's tough. I, 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 you know, I mean, the thing is when I play golf, I'm betting anyways. So yeah. like, you know, that was, that was before even fantasy sports and, you know, betting was legal. I mean, betting has always been a part of playing golf for me. Now, the one thing I will add is when I went to the thing, uh, uh, the one, the one tool I want is I don't, I, if all of you watch the golf enough, you see these commercials. I need that standalone putter. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I need that standalone putter. It seems like it would help my game so much. And I can win so much more money from my friends. It just seems like a great idea. I need that standalone putter. Yeah, but you also need the like the green next to the hole to be like curved so the ball actually goes into the hole along with the stand-up putter. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, getting the getting the ball in the hole is 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 the goal, right? I mean, and I have a really tough time doing that. So, you know, after playing for thirty plus years, I still struggle at the game. That's why it's fun, you know. I mean, you go out there and you, you suck for you know seventeen holes, and then you hit a beauty on eighteen, a beauty approach, and you make that birdie. You're like, I love this game, and you shot you know one hundred seven. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Well, but like, is there something you could do? Like, if you had a regular crew of guys or whatever, you were a member somewhere that, like, you could have some sort of app that tracked all of it. So you could play, like, you could just bet on the course with cash uh, as much as you wanted to. But if you wanted to run, like, some sort of month long or week long thing where everyone played, like, two rounds each, do you think there'd be any market for that whatsoever? Like, it's just something to store and keep track of everything. But it's also, like, a gambling app, too. Like, maybe everyone puts in their credit card, it houses the money for you, and then, you know, you get paid out right away i think that app is out okay well, uh, i think i i think i i think a company reached out to us as a possible sponsor for the podcast and they were talking about i forget i'm sorry i forget which company it was and i think they have an app for that where they have different games on your phone while you're playing and it's linked up to all four of your phones and then you can like bet and pick which games that you're playing and how much money you're spending and it's all connected through paypal so I think that app is out or being developed already. And, and you know, and I, I apologize to the company because I forgot the name, uh, but I think it's coming out. See, that, that that actually sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the, it's all linked up through PayPal. And, you know, it's linked up through all the phones of the groups that of, of your foursome, whoever is playing. And then whatever type of game you're playing, it'll go ahead and you record everything in there and it spits out the money at the end. See, again, this makes a lot of sense to me, except for when you have, like, your one pal, like, you're playing in a foursome, and then there's the one guy who, like, didn't bring any money. This solves all this problem. Yeah, it's uh, PayPal. It's, it's the greatest one of the great, or Venmo or whatever. It's, it's a great thing. All right, what else do I got here? Oh, did you see the distance is killing the game, and everyone just got, kind of laughed about it? Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, 
Jack said something about this in like 1977. You know, I mean, like, you know, I mean, like the way they've been talking about this forever. Uh, and the thing about it is, you know, what I think what they fail to, to see is, you know, guys nowadays are just bigger and stronger and faster. And that's every sport. Uh, you know, it's every part of life. Uh, you know, compared to 20, 30 years ago, these guys are just huge. And I know the technology is there and it makes it a lot easier and the balls go a lot farther. I think the easiest way to try and fix this is, you know, make the fairways narrower on courses after 300 yards and make the rough more penal. I don't think drawing back the golf ball or the technology is, is useful, especially for amateurs. You know, I mean, we're not, I don't want the, I don't want to, you know, we all want to use the same products the tour players are playing with. If you have them having drawn back drivers and, and, and balls that don't fly farther, I mean, that's going to, ha- that's going to hurt, uh, you know, the whole industry of the whole, when it comes to golf clubs and golf balls, I mean, that's not what they want. They need to grow that as well, because those are their main sponsors. Uh, you know, I, there, there, there's different ways to go about it. it, it guys are going to get longer. Guys are going to get bigger. It's just the way the world is nowadays. I mean, guys are bulking up. And look at Bryson, man. That dude is just cock diesel now. And you look at his drives, and he's driving the hell out of the ball, hitting a 320 carry and stuff. Now it sort of affected the rest of his game. He forgot to hit an iron. I forgot how to hit an iron, you know, after working that. And that happens a lot of the times. But, I mean, like, this is going to be part of the game. And it's a fun way to watch. I mean, I know – I know a lot of us, we love strategy golf. We want to see golfers think more. But again, you got to think about the casual fans. They want to see the long ball. And I got no problem with that. I just think if you want to bring more people and have people think about it, golfers think about their shots more, just make the fairways narrower after 300 yards. Every golf course that they play on the PGA Tour can do that. You know, at least most of them, probably not Augusta. But And and then make the rough more penal. So guys have to think off the tee. Uh, you know, I think that's just that, that's the easiest fix in my book when it comes to trying to make it fairer for the long for the shorter hitters. And pretty soon, if you look at the shorter hitters out there, they're all older guys. This new crop of young dudes, they're all bombers. Everyone's going to be bombing it here soon. Yeah, I maybe making the bunkers more like there seems to be no disincentive to hit it into a bunker. I really noticed that at Torrey Pines. Uh, when you know everyone's just hitting these fairway bunkers, like oh they can still carry it two ten out of the fairway bunker and land it on the green, no problem. Like maybe make them a bit deeper. I don't know. Yeah, I mean something or make less bunkers and make more higher rough. Uh, I mean that that's the thing. I mean you know you you hit out a three inch rough, you know you got a five hundred four hundred eighty yard par four. You know you're hitting it three thirty off the tee, but you hit it into the you know four inch rough. It's going to be a tough you know, what, wet, nine iron, eight iron for most golfers. I mean, you get a guy who can hit a 290 straight down the middle, they still got a shot, uh, you know, since, since they have it on the fairway. Just just make it more incentive to hit the fairway if needed. Don't make it so easy for these longer guys to just pound wedge like VJ used to do and just or pound driver, just, you know, or what Leishman did uh, a couple weeks ago at the Farmers, you know, hitting like three out of 14 fairways. And now most of it was because of the putter, you know, but I mean, you hit three out of 14 fairways and shoot seven under something's wrong. <laughs> that shouldn't happen. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think it was funny. Like Leishman was so off that he was actually like flying it over where the deeper rough was like past the patrons where they had stomped everything down. He's like, Hey, this is a great angle. And all the rough is yeah. padded down, down here. Maybe, maybe it was a very strategic move on his part. I have no idea. I, 
I mean, we've seen it before. I mean, Tony Finau's first win it was with Puerto Rico. I remember it was a playoff, I think it was Steve Marino, uh, and it was the 18th hole. And Finau was aiming for the fairway on the right side over the trees. That's where he was aiming his drive, you know, and he realized if he misses on the rough, the rough is so light, he has nothing to worry about. And it was just, it was just boggled in my mind. He did that, I think they played it three times in a row. And every single time Finau hit his drive, he aimed 50 yards right of the fairway because it was an easier shot. I, I, because, you know, he could hit the ball so far and there was no, there was no issues with him missing the fairway. I mean, there, there needs to be an issue when you miss the fairway. That's the one thing a lot of golf courses are missing. It, it should be a little bit of a penalty if you miss a fairway and, and not enough golf courses have that. I'm glad you brought up Bryson in this weight game. It seems like people just want to like rag Bryson for everything, but he said he can drive the ball so far now he's lost the ability to do everything else. But don't you feel like if anyone's going to figure out how to do this, it's going to be him. I think he's going to be great. Me too. I think this is, I think this is going to be super helpful for him to add this. Now it just depends on how he goes about it. Like we saw a few years ago, with Jordan Spieth, you know, after him going off from you know, 2015 to 2017, deciding I need to hit the ball longer. And so he focused on his drives, hitting the ball a little bit farther, but he forgot the rest of his game. And that, that's going to happen because you focus so much on one part of the game, the other parts are going to slack a little bit. And, um, you know, but the thing about Spieth is it, it never really came back. And that's the issue. Now with Bryson, I think it will be. I think he's smart enough. Uh, at least he's the image portrays that he's smart enough to figure it out. I mean, if you saw him the last time he was out, um, I mean, God, he was just crushing golf balls. Like I couldn't believe how high and how far he was hitting those and how straight uh, he was pretty straight too. Uh, once he figures that once he gets back to his normal iron play, I mean, watch out for him. I think he can be, you know, top five, he can be number one golfer in the world at some point in time. If he continues with this track. Yeah, well, he's a very strange guy because he has so many wins already. And I think people forget how young Bryson is. And, like, he's going worldwide and generating some of these wins as well. But it's either he's – he's very Patrick Reed-esque in the way that he's competitive in tournaments. Like, you know, where Rom basically just comes inside the top ten every single week and sometimes he wins, sometimes he doesn't. Reed and Bryson just seem to be like, if they're in a tournament, they're probably going to win. And if not, they miss the cut. Yeah, I mean that, that that's definitely true. I mean, with Reed, you can never really tell. But there's some there's some points Reed's been playing a little bit better. I mean, being a little bit more consistent uh, here, recently, at least from the fall late last year during the FedEx Cup playoffs until now. I mean, a lot. I think a lot of that has to do with him. You know, he knows that he can't. He'll never get picked as a captain probably ever again. Captain's picking a in a, a team event ever again, and so he needs the ball out year in and year out because you know he thrives for those team competitions. Um, Bryson, though, once he figure, once he gets back on track with his irons, I mean, I I, I expect the even the next couple of times out he plays, he, he should be on the radar for people. Yeah, I'm curious to see what it does to his odds at some of the larger tournaments going forward because his game is should set up perfectly for Augusta. Yep. And if he starts playing really, really poorly, that maybe his odds 
finally crater at the master because they're still like holding him around like a pretty decent like the same number you were always getting on Bryce and you're still getting that he has to play really poorly a few times out but I think that he's going to suffer the same fate as almost Poulter and Sergio and Patrick Reed is that people just don't like him and that's going to give the betters an advantage betting on him because you'll always get a better number on him versus an equivalent player I, I never really understood the Bryson hate you know, I, don't, I, 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 I really don't get it either. I think people, uh, people just think he's like a pompous dickhead. And like, you mean every golfer? But apparently Bryson is the one that they want to single out. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess the big thing, because I, maybe he portrays himself as smarter than other golfers or stuff like that. But I mean, he was like, uh, what was his major in college? It was like, it was like, chem- like some type of crazy nuclear engineering or something like that. I don't even know. He had, or physics or something like that. I mean, like the dude's a smart guy. Uh, and, you know, it's not like a lot of the smart guys, if, they, if, if they're smart, they usually betray it and, and they're going to let people know. And that's just the way he is. And I, I don't know. I, didn't, I never understood the hate for him. Uh, people, I guess, just don't like stuff that's different. He's different when it comes to the tour. Yeah. If you don't fall exactly into line. Let's see here. He did a physics degree and he finished it. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, uh. I guess. Uh, he's he's what, a smart dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, if. If everyone's going to be equal and like you figure out that, I mean, part of being smart is having some self-reflection that, hey, here's what I'm good at. Am I as good at this as other people? And maybe he made the determination that, you know, I'm either equivalent or slightly behind some of the very best people. But if I can outthink them, I can transform my body and do it this way. All my clubs can be the same size to give yourself an advantage over time to make yourself just through your smarts better than the people that you have exactly the same skill set as that seems to me like what he's trying to do. And I get how, you know, the mad scientist and being in like weird commercials with tiger can make people dislike you, but I think he's kind of fun. Like he doesn't seem like an asshole whatsoever. Yeah. And like from people that I've heard that like, I've actually met him on the course. He's a, a gracious guy. Like, you know, he signs kids autographs. He doesn't blow people off. Like I, I don't, I don't get the hate. I don't get the hate. Let's talk Ryder Cup for a second. Uh, I talked to Feinberg about this a little bit, but do you think that the Ryder Cup captains will ever finally figure out that they need to select their teams around the courses that they're playing? I think once this old guard gets away and, and you see the, the younger people, the, 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 this newer generation now getting into it that knows more about analytics and, you know, course fit and stuff. It, it, it makes sense. Now the issue they have is a lot has to do with ratings and TV coverage. They're, they're going to keep the TV people happy. They can't leave this guy off. They can't leave that guy off. A lot of it has to do with, you know, it being a boys, boys club. A lot of these guys are buddies. You know, they're going to have, you know, they, they want to pick this guy to be on the team because they feel like they deserve it. Uh, they've been playing long enough. And, and I think that hurts the Americans uh, a lot. I think the, the, the European tour um, or the, the Euro side, they, they know how to go about it. They, they, they pick the right people. They pick the right formats. Uh, and even you saw the international team this past year with Ernie using the analytics and stuff. I think that's going to grow more and more once this old guard starts, you know, moving away and you see some of these other guys that are, that are, you know, our age, a little bit younger becoming captains and things. It, it's going to, it's going to change. It has to change, especially for the Americans, because it's been such a struggle uh, for them, you know, uh, against the Europeans and it, and it, it hurts. I mean, the Ryder cup's my favorite, event to watch in golf probably in sports 
Uh, and to be so disappointing, uh, something needs to change on the American side. Yeah. So this time around at Whistling Straits, like, wouldn't it just seem like it, where Kisner got he got snubbed for the President's Cup, he got snubbed for the Ryder Cup last time around. That maybe they try to make it after him, like, hey, Kevin, you're on the team. They invite him to the course where his skill set is basically useless. Yeah, that, that that's probably something that they would do. <laughs> I mean, I, that's probably something that the U.S. team would do. Uh, and I think you know, making the course wide open and making the course long as possible—that's good for the Americans. That's what they should be doing. The only issue when it comes down to that is. You know, a lot of these European top guys, they play on courses like that all the time because well, they play on the on the on the PGA Tour. Well, it's not so much about the top end guys because the top end guys are going to play well at basically any course. But like when they brought the guys over to France for the Ryder Cup and you had Finau and you had Phil and you had, I mean, there's nothing you could do about Bubba. He played his way onto the team. But like those were not the right style of guys to go attack that course. Now, I'm very curious this time around if the Europeans say, look, we have our team, and here are our captain's picks. We know we're going to have our Rose, Rom, Rory, Stenson. They're all going to play, and they're good players. It's not going to be a problem at Whistling Straits. But if we get into the, do we take Ian Poulter this time? Do we want to take Graham McDowell? Do we want to take Rafa Cabrera Bayo? Or maybe we need to take Thomas Peters because he absolutely mashes the ball, and he's perfect for this course. Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty sure that that's the way the the Europeans will go the, the right way because they make the right moves uh, year in and year out. I mean, it just it just makes sense. I mean, leaving Kisner off in France on that course just seemed inexcusable, uh, you know. And, and and to get Phil on that team that was just so I just you want to rip your hair out, you know. You're like, why? And that's another disadvantage the Americans have when they're on the road in Europe. Like you know, a lot of these European guys play on the PGA tour and they see those type of courses pretty often. A, a lot of these, you know, uh, PGA guys, they might see courses like that, that once or twice a year tops uh, they play on the European tour. And it gives the, gives the Euro such a huge advantage. Yeah. I'm just trying to see who leads right now on the driving distance or at least tops and driving distance on the European tour who are actually Europeans. The season's so young, it's kind of tough. Maybe I'll go back to last year and take a look at it. Probably a better, larger sample of who can actually mash the ball and who can't. But just in my mind, like Thomas Peters is one of the guys, or Thomas Peters, um, even like Cole Sertz can really get it out. I didn't realize Kurt Kitayama hits the ball so far. Yeah, Thomas Peters was sixth. Fleetwood was eighth. Like Lucas Beauregard, did he end up making the team last time or was it Olison? I can't remember. I think it was Olson. Yeah, uh, he's probably not going to be invited back this time. If I had to guess, yeah, probably not. Probably <laughs> not. I what did he have to go? Uh, is he suspended for a year? I think probably I, from the European tour. If I, I'm not mistaken, I, I don't actually know what ended up happening. Like I heard the story, and then yeah. all of a sudden I never heard anything else about it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he got suspended. Uh, that I mean, yeah, I mean, getting drunk and doing that on a plane is 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 not a good look. <laughs> you know, Ian Poulter was was a man of reason trying to calm him down. And that's not a good look either. So, you know, uh, yeah, that was pretty bad for Olsen. So you have like other guys, like I don't, these guys would have to play really well this year to get themselves in just into consideration for, to knock off one of these veterans, but like Arnis, Cole Sertz, Matt Wallace, Guido, like these guys all just bomb the ball. And it does feel like they would be better fits than a lot of your, what we imagine to be like your prototypical European player. 
Yeah, and, and you see it. And the thing is, like, if you bring these newbies on to the Ryder Cup, it seems like a lot of them pay off. Yeah. I mean, even for the United States, I mean, like, the, you know, they're pumped to be on the team. They're excited, you know, and, and a lot of these guys, you would think they'd be nervous, but a lot of them, get, you know, use that and they play really well as rookies. Uh, you, I mean, you saw it on the international team uh, just a few months ago. I mean, you saw answer and ball out. I mean, a lot of these guys, they, 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 they want to be in that type of situation, you know, especially guys who are great in college in that match play type format and stuff. Uh, this is their thing. And you see a lot of these younger golfers on both sides, the U.S. and the Europeans, that, that do well early on in their careers on the Ryder Cup. Do you think that the Europeans have an advantage in this because they grow up playing more team golf than anything else where it seems to be very individualistic for the United States players? I mean, a whole team aspect is is better on the European tour, on the European side. I mean, those guys have a bond. You know, they, they seem like they are real teammates. And you see what the U.S. has gone through with all the infighting and the and the chatting all the way back to Phil with, you know, uh, who was it, uh, Watson and you know, you, you go greed and all his issues and then, you know, Spieth and Thomas versus Reed. I mean, there's just because these guys on the PGA Tour battle in, battle out. They have a tiger mentality. You know, each week they have that, you know, they grew up watching Tiger. They're a single focus, beat the crap out of your opponent every time. And then they have to go in and work together for a week. It's a lot tougher. That mind frame isn't as similar on the European, on the Europe side. I mean, those guys can bond together really, really easy. Uh, and I think that's a big, big bonus for the European side. And that's why they, 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 they dominate. They have that team aspect down. Last thing. Do you think Jordan Spieth is going to end up being the number one player in the world ever again? No. What do you think his, uh, what do you think the rest of his career looks like from here on out? Disappointing. Really? Uh, you know, I think so. Uh, here's the thing. What's we talked about this a little bit earlier when it comes to talent with Bryson, we're using like the, his brain. Well, you know what, what, what Spieth did is the talent wise, he wasn't anywhere near close to all these other golfers up top. It was his mental. It was the mental aspect of his game and his clutch putting. And he was still great tee to green back then too. Uh, but I mean, a lot of it had to do with his mental aspect. You know, he sort of had a tiger thing when he, when he needed a big putt, you knew he was going to make it, you know, from like 2014 to 2017. That's just the way it was with Spieth. Uh, he would make the clutch shots. I mean, the one out of the bunker, uh, where he chest bumped his caddy afterwards. I mean, there's so many different putts uh, that he made during that time. And a lot of that was a mental focus. And then once the, once the, the rest of his game started breaking down, uh, when he tried to hit the ball a little bit farther uh, and he couldn't hit, the, he started struggling on his irons. He started struggling on his putting that it seems like his, his mental went on a complete 180 and, and being able to turn that back on is going to be extremely difficult especially to the level that he was back in his prime. And, and when you look at him week in and week out nowadays, you see the pain, you see the struggle, you see him being frustrated. And, and I, I, it's been so long. I don't know if he can turn it back. It's just been too long. I, I, I'm rooting for him. I hope he does it. But I think he's going to be, after his career is over, he's going to be a disappointment. People are going to look back and be like, what happened to George Speed? I'm kind of torn on it because, like you mentioned, there was a period where he was an elite ball striker on tour along with the elite short game. And the difference between someone like Bryson and someone like Jordan Spieth is that 
Bryson, using his smirts potentially, has identified that something like short game, I mean, you can be a very good short game player for a long period of time, but to be the best putter in the world or a top five putter in the world is just not going to be sustainable. That's going to change. You're going to miss putts. That if there's one thing that you really want to hammer down on, irons is the most important thing, but even irons have a substantial degree of variance. Driving really doesn't. If you're an excellent driver of the ball, that seems to be the most repeatable skill that you can have. So you should be focusing on driving the ball and being the best at that over almost everything else. When you look at the best players in the world right now, it's all basically the best drivers. And the rest of their games are also good, but it all stems from that one particular repeatable skill. So with Spieth, I do think that if he can get a win somewhere, because you say a lot of this stuff could be mental with him, that just getting a win, and even if it's at a career builder, or he rewins the Travelers, or it's the John Deere Classic, I don't think it really matters. But getting him back into the right headspace is going to be so key. Now, can he get back there? I don't think he's going to go the rest of his life without ever winning a PGA Tour event again. But it's one of these things where it could just be a switch that all of a sudden he's kind of back. Like, I don't think that he necessarily goes the way of Patty Harrington. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's hard to flip that switch. I, you know, you can work on different aspects of your game and try to make the, your golf ball travel farther off the tee, try and get better with your irons. But the mental aspect is probably going to be the toughest to repeat. And that was his strength. That was his number one deal, you know. And, and you're right, maybe a win uh, would change that. But I don't see him winning anytime soon, not against caliber players that we have right now. I mean, the thing is, you see him like one or two rounds a week play well, but he can never get four rounds in. I haven't seen him play four good rounds since, what, the, the 2017 British Open, probably, you know? And uh, that's a long period of time to be off your game and try and come back. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just going to be at one of those courses where he historically play. It'll probably end up being like Augusta or something like that. Yeah, I watch it be like a major, you know, or, or, or something like that. Because, I mean, of course, you could spray it a little bit off Augusta uh, and still do well. And it comes down to punting. And if you can get that down. But, I mean, would you really put money on Spieth on Sunday if he had the lead now uh, in a final group? Would you even think about betting him live? Probably not. No, probably not is the answer. It's almost one of those. But you always want to be ahead of the curve on these things, whether it's DraftKings, whether it's gambling, that – you almost want to take the side that people don't think is going to happen because that's where you're going to actually get the real value. Just everyone is that that is gambling. You're absolutely terrified to do that because you have to see it happen first before you want to do it. And by then, it's absolutely too late. Looking yeah. at the top players in the world right now, uh, the top 10, let's just talk about the top five. So you have Brooks, Rory, Rom, Justin Thomas, and Dustin Johnson. If one of those guys is outside of the top 50 in the world, two years from now, which guy do you think it is? Because I think it's Brooks. So, okay, you think outside the top 50 of the top five right now? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it probably has to be Brooks. I, I, I honestly don't see any of them doing it. But if I had to pick one, it would probably be Brooks. Uh, maybe DJ. I, I don't know. That's a tough one because all these guys are so good that I just can't picture them being – you know, playing that poorly. But I, I guess the easiest one would be Kepka because of his injury history. 
Yeah, injury history and I guess where he has so many big wins in such a short period of time, that's what's propelling him up to being number one in the world. Like that's, I mean, he was number one in the world. He loses number one in the world. You win a big event, you go back up to number one in the world. But those points last for like two years. If he doesn't just like keep winning majors, it does seem like he plays less frequently than a lot of the other players, plus that injury history that he could miss like a significant period of time. Like if Justin Thomas hadn't been injured for basically half of 2019, he would be the number one player in the world. That yeah, with, I mean, with Brooks, I, 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 I talked about Patty Harrington. I could see Brooks going the way of Patty Harrington, where in like 10 years, you're like, Kepka won four majors? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he'd have to, because the thing is, it's not like he plays regular tour events well either. I, you know, I mean, he is the big game hunter. And so there's a lot of points to get uh, for the official world golf rankings from those majors. And once they fall off the board, he could drop precipitously, and that's true. And if he doesn't come up and have another big win, you're definitely right. I mean, you could see him going down, and especially if he misses more time due to injury. If you had to take, uh, let's say, let's let's group some younger players together versus some other younger players. You have your more established tour guys who have really made an impact and won on tour. So, like, Cantley, Bryson, Xander, maybe I'm missing someone in there, but, like, those three guys. Would you take those three guys over the next 10 years over – Hovland, Morikawa, Wolf, Neiman, like that type of new player. That's tough. Uh, that's a tough question. I, I think I'd probably go, I mean, first look, I'd probably stick with, you know, the Cantlay, Bryson, and Xanders because they've proven themselves. But these young group of guys are good. Uh, I mean, Morikawa is an iron ball striking machine uh, out there. We see Hovland who's, you know, having his issues, but it's looked like he's doing pretty well this week in the first round. At least last time I looked, he was three under um, watching the, the, the pebble. And uh, you know, I, he, I, I would probably stick with these, these, these guys that, that are already there because, you know, there's going to be another new crop of golfers the next year, you know, and, and there's going to be another new awesome crop of golfers the year after. I mean, can these really new young guys really hold on? A lot of their damage uh, came on, you know, events without the strongest types of fields uh, so far. I, I'd go with Canley, uh, Bryson, and Xander because they've proven themselves already to me. If you had to rank the young guys and the, the new young guys, what order do you think you would put them in? Because it does seem, at least initially, like Morikawa is by far the best of these guys. Yeah, Morikawa and M. Those oh, are I, my, I, t- I totally forgot about him. I, I keep forgetting he's 20. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Morikawa and M are, are, are 1A and 1B for me. Uh, those guys are good. I mean, the thing about Sungjae is uh, he's really good in almost every aspect of the game. And, you know, when it comes down to putting, he's not even that short. He's definitely long enough. I mean, he's not long, long, but he's long enough to contend. Uh, and then you got Morikawa, who's, you know, irons are great. And, you know, it's very early in his career. We've just seen him struggle a little bit on Sundays, but that's to be expected, uh, you know, for a guy playing in his rookie, except for, you know, when he won that event, uh, was the Barracuda or, or whichever event he won. Um, and, and, but I think those guys are going to be 1A and 1B. And then you got like Hovland, Wolf, and Scheffler, I think, uh, in that order for the next three. Well, it's funny because like almost what we just discussed that all the top players in the world have a very common trait, except for maybe JT, because he's not on the same level as driving the ball as the rest of the very top end players. But Hovland, immaculate driver of the ball. Wolf, awesome driver of the ball. Like Morikawa and M are good drivers of the ball. They're not elite drivers of the ball. And even Scheffler is as well. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, they pound the ball. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, even even him, like I said, I mean, he's not short. Uh, and the guys come across, and I think I think a lot of these guys, when it comes to these, uh, when it comes to younger guys, is how they're going to do uh, on the putting green when it comes down to, to 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 the championship. I mean, that's when you really see, you can really get a feel of how these golfers are really going to be, uh, how they perform on Sundays. And I mean, that's going to be the biggest the biggest deciding point when it comes to these five. Kenny, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I'm good, man. It was great talking to you. Always fun, man. Yeah, and listen, anytime we can sit down and like, well, you know, you don't have to do like eight hours of research to figure out who you're going to pick or what trends are going on this week. We can just chat about golf. Kind of fun. Not going to lie to you. Yeah, I mean, I rarely do I do pods where, I mean, okay, on my pod, I do everything off the top of my head, but I've done research. This one, I had no idea what we were going to talk about. <laughs> I just came in. I was like, I hope I know what what to say when you ask the question. So I think it went well. Yeah, I th- listen, I, I think it went so well that I can continue doing more of these random golf chats if we get enough topics, which I need your help with out there, the peoples. If you smash the like button for the video, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Give us a topic. You can be in a draw for 20 DK dollars. You want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars? Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, and something nice about this show, and you'll be in that draw. While you're at, like, leaving the reviews, you might as well go over to the Fantasy Golf Degenerates page as well and leave a five-star review for Kenny and Tambo as well because the currency that we all deal in are, like, these iTunes reviews. As stupid as that sounds, they really do go a long way into helping. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.